Hi, I'm here with Jimmy Mitchell. We had him on the show last night uh, with Marion Grace, he and Colleen Nixon and their beautiful music. He's also one of the directors at Fraternus. First, I wanted to talk about the music. You brought up a, an interesting point last night about uh, one of the missions of Marion Grace is this notion of beauty. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about uh, your inspiration there, what you want to do with the music in relationship to beauty? Sure. Yeah, I heard a long time ago that God primarily speaks through the transcendentals, truth, beauty, and goodness, and unity as well. I think St. Thomas Aquinas says that each one of us kind of primarily approach God and primarily understand God through one of those four uh, one of those four things. And for me, beauty has always been pretty primary. So seeing that uh, in, in good art, film, literature, music, that's always been a huge part of my life. So Marian Grace is obviously trying to uncover some of the richest musical treasures that the church has to offer. Um, but we hope to be a part of maybe even a larger movement of artists who really see you know, beauty as something that can capture the imagination, that can capture the human heart, whether one is Catholic or Christian or even non-Christian. And so what we've seen is with this music, along with other music like it, uh, it, it engages people in a way that um, it's, it's hard to find either in uh, music out of the mainstream or music that's kind of um, so boldly um, evangelical that in a way it becomes like its primary purpose is to evangelize versus its primary purpose to glorify God. Mm-hmm. And if you begin by just glorifying God, the evangelization takes place. Mm-hmm. At least that's what we found. Can you describe that, how, how that works? And, you know, we've all had that experience. We listen to something beautiful, and, and music especially can touch us so quickly. It can pierce our soul um, with something beautiful. I mean, I was at the opera one time, mm-hmm. and I remember, and it wasn't a, a religious opera. It was secular, but uh, it just touched you. It moved you. Mm-hmm. Does that, like, prepare the way for God, or is that God himself speaking? Or how do you describe that relationship? Yeah, it's a really good question. I guess it comes down to the, the different powers of the human soul. You know, we have the intellect and the will and the passions. And I think what music and what beauty can do so well, especially when it's ordered, especially when it contains deep truths, it, it, it orders those passions. It, 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 it brings them forth. You know, I think St. Augustine says that the passions are good when they lead to good and they're evil when they lead to evil. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, uh, music that is true and, and truly beautiful, it's going to take uh, our emotions um, really to a beautiful place. That it has that potential, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, is that the Holy Spirit? Is that God himself? It's, I suppose it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a lot of ways, um, I trust that the Holy Spirit definitely speaks to those kind of moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess there's also a healthy distrust that we have to have knowing that our emotions can be manipulated, which is what we see so often, you know, um, in music that, you know, it's, it's like it's like good um, junk food. You know what I mean? It tastes great, and that's okay. Junk food's not a bad thing. Um, but much more than two or three minutes of it, you're going to start feeling sick, right. you know. What? How would you describe the style of the music of Marian Grace, if it does have a style? Yeah, so Colleen and I have been doing music together for about seven years. So it's funny because we both have a lot of influences. You know, she loves Joni Mitchell. She loves Nora Jones. She kind of has this indie jazz pop thing that she does totally apart from Mary and Grace. And I love Jerry Lee Lewis and George Winston. And, oh, you know, that's quite a combination, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Great Balls of Fire yeah. and 
And George Winston plays a note every 30 seconds, right? I, I held back last night. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, I just love playing the piano. I mean, there, for me, if, especially when I can just focus on that, um, it can really become um, an amazing opportunity, you know, for me to just pray, for me to... Um, bring beauty to the world, you know, especially everything else can kind of just fade away for a few minutes. You know, I think I've already forgotten the question. Well, let me follow up with this. What is it about Jerry Lee Lewis's music that you like? I suppose it just, it, it sounds good and it feels good. That's <laughs> 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 pretty simple. <laughs> I, well, I was asking you about the style of Marion Grace. That's right. That's right. So I don't know that we, it's funny because not many people um, can categorize us because we don't really fit necessarily in the Christian music genre. We don't necessarily fit um, into a lot of what we see in like some of the Catholic publication houses or the Catholic uh, record companies, things like that. I mean, it's a, it's a distinct thing, so we're not really sure what to call it. Um, it's, I suppose, a very, very kind of fresh production. I mean, we're able to use some of the best studios in Nashville, so that really helps with the quality. But as far as the arrangements, uh, it's just me being myself on the piano and Colleen being herself with her voice, and there's a freedom in that. And so, in a way, people might say it, it does sound a little bit like Nora Jones or uh, Joni Mitchell uh, or Jerry Lee Lewis or George Winston. Um, you know, uh, one of my greatest heroes in music is, is uh, a guy by the name of Michael W. Smith. And so I, I play the piano a lot like he plays the piano because I've been listening to him for 10 years and I love his style. So in a way, it's, it's all those things combined, but I, I, think it's, I think it's pretty unique. Now, you didn't study piano or um, composition, right? How did, you, how did you make your, develop your craft? Yeah, so I, I grew up with piano lessons from like fourth grade, so when I was 10, up until about 10th grade when I was in high school. And so music has been a huge part of my life. I've always loved music, but piano has kind of been my primary instrument for a long time. When junior year hit, junior year of high school, I stopped taking lessons, but I, I started getting involved more and more. I think I, there's this one classic rock band that I was in for a while. We did like a bunch of July 4th festivals, things like that. Um, all through high school and college, I would help in any way I could uh, with, with uh, music and liturgies. And I think at times I probably didn't have a good vision of, of what uh, liturgy looked like, so I would probably jam a little bit too hard. Uh, but I've, I've really learned, I think, through that, um, some things that you can really only learn by by playing, you know what I mean? I haven't really had a formal instructor in, I guess it's been nine years, you know, but I've continued to play and continue to play frequently, and every time I make a mistake that sounds good, I just keep making that mistake, you know what I mean? That's a lot of how it works. Uh, so for me, it's just a great, a great love and a great joy, and I think if I studied it um, too intensely, um, I might lose a little bit of the spontaneity that I kind of enjoy right now, so... Last night you mentioned about uh, you spent a year in seminary. Can you talk about the effect that has had on you, maybe, in your music? Yeah, yeah. So that was a really beautiful time of my life. Right after I graduated from college, I went to a Dossison seminary up in Columbus, Ohio, the Josephinum, and was immersed in brotherhood and immersed in just a, a deep life of prayer and study. And so with that kind of came a heightened desire for truth and beauty and goodness. I mean, it's an amazing thing when you don't have those affections and those attachments to sin, not because you're trying hard, but because you've just fallen that much more in love with the Lord. And that year for me was a real deepening 
you know, in that, you know, Chesterton talks about the love affair uh, that the Christian shares with God, you know what I mean? It's a furious love affair. And uh, because that deepened that year, uh, so much of my understanding of the world and what it means to be man, what it means to be a beloved son of God the Father, deepened as well. And so that affected my understanding of the art. It really affected my, you know, understanding of why I play the piano and why I like to read and why I like to uh, talk about, you know, philosophy and theology and things like that. So that that year was life changing, and uh, yeah, I think I understand the world more clearly because of it. What if you mentioned uh, coming to to realize that we're loved as uh, children of God? Can you talk more about that? Because I know that must be a theme in your work with Fraternus. It is. This might be a nice segue. I suppose uh, for years I saw what it meant to be a son of God from afar. You know, like I would see witnesses of this truth, but I didn't have many day-to-day mentors, particularly um, that were men, that were really pouring into me uh, spiritually, and, and um, I don't think I even heard the phrase spiritual direction until I was a junior in college. And the, se- and the second I heard about it, I think it was through St. Francis de Sales, I asked the closest priest I could find to be my spiritual director. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that actually led to an incredible uh, series of, of, of events that led me to seminary and things like that. Um, I, I've forgotten the question again. Oh, about the, uh, the our spirit, uh, God is yeah. our Father. Mm-hmm. So I think so many of us uh, go through life, and in as much as we um, we sin and we feel the effects of sin, we're wounded, you know. And I think uh, it begins often um, when we're young. And um, when I hit college, the understanding of God's love that is relentless, that is unconditional, that is fatherly, I think hit me like a ton of bricks. And it brought an incredible amount of uh, healing in my life. Um, and I could see it in the way that sins were being conquered by God's grace that I had been trying to conquer by myself for years, you know. And I think every day that's all I really want to do is, is grow in my beloved sonship, my understanding that God is a father who, who delights in me and who um, cherishes me. And I think as men we have so few um, experiences of that. You know, we have so few men who talk to us like that, who talk to us uh, about those kinds of things. And so I think through several key mentors, especially through college, that idea became paramount in my life. Were the mentors priests? Or? Yeah, some were and some weren't. It was funny. I remember I was a sophomore in college, and I asked the Lord uh, pretty fervently for mentor. Like, Lord, give me men in my life that can show me what it means to be a man you know, an authentic Catholic man. And the second I prayed that prayer, uh, the response was overwhelming. And over the next two or three years, uh, there was a handful of priests, two or three in particular, and a handful of married men with beautiful families uh, that really stepped into my life. I didn't even look for it. It just happened so naturally after that prayer was, was finally prayed. And, um, and I'm, a, I'm the man I am today because of those men. And, and, and I think it was the witness of priests that kind of sparked that, that desire to go to seminary. It was the witness of, of holy men who were faithfully living their vocations as husbands and fathers that gave me such a love for the domestic church. I think to this day, 
Uh, there's few things I, I delight more in than a you know a holy priest or a holy family. It's just it's the kind of thing that just captures you. And I think uh, the beauty, a beautiful aspect of that mentoring too, is sometimes uh, we feel like, well, the man you might have like this Hollywood image of the Superman uh, who's so successful in all these different areas, mm-hmm. but it really doesn't take something that uh, great, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, I sometimes I tell men that that you know you are a man in your core, the way you look at things, the way you love people, the way you can guide people, and and that. That intangible thing, whatever it is, is what other developing men crave. Right. Is that has that been your experience? Absolutely, and I think love is heroic in as much as it's ordinary, you know, and everyday. I think sometimes we all want to be the martyr that everybody can see on the cross, and really, much of us, most of us, are are going to live um, a quieter life than that, you know, a, a sort of white martyrdom. And I think that is the essence of manhood, to live a life of sacrificial love where uh, you don't bring attention to yourself. Um, and I think this is something that we all struggle with because we like the attention. We like uh, the idea of leaving a legacy, of being known as a man you know, who was virtuous, who was you know, pursuing holiness, these kinds of things. Uh, but ultimately, um, I want to be ever growing in that humility and that purity of heart that is almost self-forgetful. And I think that the men who have most mentored me, um, it's not been by their words as much by their witness. Humble, quiet, St. Joseph types, you know. We think about the life of our Lord, right? 30 years hidden life, three years public ministry. Um, Let's talk about Fraternus. Can you describe uh, that organization and the goals? Yeah, absolutely. So I encountered Fraternus about four years ago when I was on a silent retreat. I think the very idea is what caught me uh, because it was something that I was already experiencing in my own life and wanting to pass on to the younger men that were around me. And so the idea is very simple. Uh, Especially in this generation, there's a lot of young men, a lot of young people who are growing up without strong fathers, who are growing up without a sense of of really what it means to be a man. And so Fraternus exists um, so that more boys can become virtuous Catholic men. So we come into a parish we round up men, uh, we provide opportunities for their formation, we train them in our program, and then we kind of mentor them over the course of a year as the program unfolds on how to mentor these boys. So it's virtue-based. Uh, it's very much centered around the liturgical life of the church because our hope is that these young men would go beyond middle school and high school and feel connected to their parish, that they would feel connected to the liturgy of the church, which is the one thing that's going to be consistent. They're not going to necessarily have fraternists in college. They're not going to have you know, fraternists beyond uh, you know, their young adult years. And so the idea is, is brotherhood. The idea is uh, a brotherhood of disciples who really not only understand but live an authentic manhood, um, really centered in a life of prayer and a life of sacramental grace. That's, that's what we're trying to pass on. And some of the fruits have been absolutely amazing. I've been in Nashville uh, really running fraternities for a couple of years now, and we're seeing young men out of nowhere discerning vocations to the priesthood. We're seeing you know, young men who have grown up in broken families going on to, to really desire uh, a holy domestic church one day for themselves. And, you know, I'm seeing uh, the woundedness of, of a fatherless generation being healed. 
and I think it began with my own, you know, process of healing years ago, and it really continues now through Fraternus and in, in, in the little bit that I have to offer them, you know, as a man who's seeking virtue and trying to, to, to grow in holiness. And, and we watch these sixth graders all the way up to 12th graders talk about wanting to be saints. You know, if we've done nothing else, I think we've stirred a, a desire for holiness in their hearts. And uh, that's, that's all I can ever hope to do for anybody. From your work and maybe from your own experience, what do you think uh, is that gift? How would you describe the gift that men can bring? I mean, so many times um, it seems like men are marginalized, in, at least in the American church. You know, you don't see as many at daily mass. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't, but what would you think is the gift that they bring? I think it's themselves. I think the gift that they bring is themselves. Uh, there was a book that was put out several years ago. Uh, I think the author is Paul Vitz and it was called Faith of the Fatherless. And it was very simple. Um, it wasn't a theological book. It wasn't a spiritual book. Uh, the whole point was to figure out what is the common thread across atheists of the past 300 years, you know, the most influential, famous atheists of the past three centuries. And there was one thing that was a common thread across all of them, and that was fatherlessness, you know, absent, deceased, or weak fathers. And I think that's the gift that men bring. They, they bring themselves. They bring the very gift of their presence. You know, I mean, I can remember so many times uh, just the joy of my dad coming into my room late at night, even when I was in high school. I'd be up late studying, and he would come in, and he would just sit. And we would talk, you know, about nothing terribly deep because we were both pretty tired anyways. But he, we just kind of sat in one another's presence, and I would be kind of studying, and maybe he'd be looking at something like a magazine or just just sitting there. And so his presence is, is enough. And I think that's also true, you know, in our lives of prayer. I mean, sometimes uh, it's, it's enough to just look at the tabernacle. It's enough to just imagine ourselves in the hands of our Father. Um, because ultimately, there's nothing uh, too brilliant that any, any one of us can say on our own, you know, natural accord that's going to change a life, you know. But that consistent, loving, faithful presence you know, that leads to friendship, that then leads to mentorship, and that's rooted in a life seeking holiness, that to me is the gift that men bring. Right, like to bring bring the presence, to show up, ask God to direct us, right, to mm-hmm. contribute our energies. And certainly you see, historically, men, I think, have a gift to transform the culture. You know, a lot of movements begun by men. And uh, so man's presence, uh, men's presence are needed out there. Um, could you talk about uh, maybe some of the, the prayer life um, recommendations you give to, like, high schoolers, mm-hmm. high school boys? Yeah, we actually have these really cool groups within Fraternus. We call them Hawk Groups, which is it stands for um, HAWC, Honest, Available, Willing, and Chase. And they're, they're kind of like little oratories. It's like opportunities to meet with the young guys, usually uh, in a family's home outside of the parish, uh, usually, you know, maybe for an hour and a half, maybe every couple of weeks, we'll have dinner, uh, we'll throw the football around, and then we'll, we'll really just try to grow in our prayer life. So we'll, we'll do simple things um, in terms of uh, teaching them devotions like the Rosary, Liturgy of the Hours, uh, Divine Mercy Chaplet, um, uh, getting them uh, not just praying with the heart of the church, um, but, but also praying in a way that's authentically them and authentically personal, you know, and uh, understanding God as Father, 
uh, understanding, you know, uh, Lord, uh, our Lord Jesus as, as Savior, and, and the Holy Spirit is the one who's constantly sanctifying us and, and calling to mind, you know, the presence of the Father and the Son. And, and so a few brief things that we usually start with is, you know, a morning offering, the very beginning of the day, giving all of your prayers, work, joys, and sufferings to the Lord. Uh, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, you know, at the end of the day, really giving a good examination of your conscience, uh, seeing where you slipped up and making a resolution for the next day. Um, if you have the availability and the time or, or the, the access, daily Mass. I mean, really, that, that should be the heart of, of every Catholic's prayer life, you know, is, is the most perfect prayer of the Mass. Uh, devotion to Our Lady, and obviously the most perfect devotion being um, through the Rosary, uh, you're just walking through the life of Christ uh, with, with, with Mary holding her hand and showing you the way. So that's a pretty good start. Morning offering, nightly examination of conscience, daily mass, a rosary. They seem to love Liturgy of the Hours. Really? It's, it's really beautiful. We have a couple of high school guys right now. I mean, they're more ambitious than, than I am. They're praying all five hours, wow. you know, and I'm just trying to keep up. So it's been really cool. Did you, one last question. Did you have kind of, I know you had that deepening of your faith in college. Did you have like a conversion experience yourself in high school? Yeah, or? yeah I would say I always kind of had a, a natural inclination towards spiritual things, which was made me a little bit different from a lot of my friends, especially my guy friends. But I would say freshman year of high school, on a retreat in adoration was a life-changing moment. It was the first time I really understood that God really was present in my life and that he was the source and the summit of everything good and that he loved me with a, with a relentless, beautiful, passionate kind of love. And so all through high school, I didn't really have uh, too much intellectual formation, you know, so I didn't understand what to do with the love of God, but I was just trying to understand it and uh, pray uh, a little bit. And it was, it was pretty minimal at that point. Uh, but in college, I think when my faith was challenged, both by, you know, secularists and uh, our Protestant brothers and sisters and, uh, and even lukewarm Catholics, it was at that point that I, I had to make a decision. Like, you know, who am I? What do I stand for? And I think it was the witness of friends, uh, mentors, and really the communion of saints. Um, it was all through college that I developed a love for, you know, Blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati, uh, St. John Bosco. Um, St. Francis of Assisi, actually. He was my confirmation saint, and the first time I ever prayed at his tomb in Assisi was a life-changing moment. So, you know, when you see holiness, it's attractive, and you desire it. And I think the more life has gone on, the more I've seen those examples that have spurred me on. All right, well, thank you so much uh, for yeah, talking with us. Great. great having you on the show. Thank you, Father.